your Bible or your your device you're going to be looking at the text will be in 1 Samuel chapter 28 um, nearing the end of 1 Samuel um, and I guess it, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not but we're just we're going to keep rolling into 2 Samuel um, we're not going to stop um, because 1 and 2 Samuel were written together it's, it's one story um, it, it was one book that was just simply divided due to space issues at that time um, so we'll continue, but we're about done with 1 Samuel. Just a couple chapters left. And this morning, um, as we're looking at, at 1 Samuel 28, um, really what we're going to see are a couple of dilemmas. That, that at this point, Samuel has died, um, and, and we have the current king, Saul, who's in power, is in control. We have David, who's anointed as, as the next king. It's a different lineage, right? Saul's been trying to kill David. Um, David has been has been hiding. He is currently, as of last week, is is left um, Israel and is now in the the area of the Philistines, serving um, their king and kind of out in the in the wilderness. Um, supposedly, um, as the king there believes, is is fighting against Israel, although that's not actually what's taking place. And so, what we're going to see this morning are, are really two dilemmas that are going to come up for David. And for Saul, um, and, and what is their response? How is it that they're going to act? Um, we're going to see that there's the the author of Samuel um, was good, right? Like they they left some tension, they left cliffhangers. That they, they even almost do that that movie scene, right, where you you lead up to to this part and you really want to know what's going to happen, and then they move over to the other person, and they and they lead you up because they're trying to help you see that both of these men have dilemmas before them. And how are they going to respond? And so instead of just letting you see all of David's or all of Saul's, it's going to kind of jump back and forth a little bit. Um, and and in, we're not going to be able to get to all of that this morning. Okay, so there will be even a cliffhanger for us today as well. Um, all right, so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achash, who's one of the, one of the five Philistine kings, said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to, David, said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. All right, we're going to stop after just the first two because what, what it's going to go ahead and paint for us is this, is that David, who has been hanging out in, in the Philistines region, who has finally left Israel because Saul is not going to back off and trying to hunt him down and kill him, um, who has pleased the Philistine king, and now the Philistines have decided, hey, let's go to war again against Israel. It's just kind of this constant refrain. Achish comes to David and says, I want you to go with us. Now, I want you to imagine, David's been anointed king of Israel, right? He is going to be the king. If he goes in and begins to fight against his own people, how difficult will that transition to king be? Right? Like, so David now is in a place of, of somewhat protection, he, he doesn't have Saul hunting him. He's pleased the Philistine king, even though he's the enemy, right? And now he's being told, hey, um, we're going to go fight together against your, your nation, your people, the people that you're going to be king for. And so David is kind of between a rock and a hard place of, do I go and fight against my people, or do I let this guy in on the ruse that I'm not really for him? And, and so David even gives, we, we've seen this throughout, that his language sometimes depends on if you want to take the surface level or if you want to go a little deeper as to what is he actually saying. 
And listen to what David says. Under, um, verse 2, David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. What? Carmen gets mad at me because I talk like this sometimes, right? Like, I say something and she's like, what, what does that mean? I'm like, well, that's what I said, right? You should know what it means, right? And she's like, no, no, no speak, speak clear, right? That is David saying, you, shall, you know what your servant can do because I've, I've served you and I've brought spoil to you and I've fought and you think I'm fighting against Israel? Or is David saying, you get in the battlefield, you'll see who I'm going to fight for, right? Like he's kind of leaving it with some, some ambiguity here. And yet the king's like, listen, I, I trust you at this point. I think you know, that you're a, a scourge on your own people. So very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life. And so now, right as the author has given us this like, tension and this desire to say, okay, David, how are you going to get out of this one? He then moves on. Okay? So let's pick up in verse 3. Now Samuel had died. Remember, we, we've seen this before. And all of Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put out the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. And then Saul said to his servant, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Okay, so we're, we're going to see how these stories are going to begin to come, come together. That because the Philistines and, and David potentially are headed to war, that, that Saul is now encamped, seeing the Philistine army coming out, emerging, and he's terrified by it. Shunem is north of the Philistines' territory. It was a, a prime trade route. And so they're looking to control it for the wealth and the riches. You see them pressing against Saul's ability to protect Israel here. Um, and they want to be able to control it. And it, our author tells us, listen, Saul himself had sent out the mediums, the witches, the necromancers. He had, he had said these cannot be a part of the land. The reason being... This was God's law. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, uh, beginning in verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, so this is before they head into the promised land, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or is a sorcerer, a charmer, a medium, a necromancer, or her one who inquires of the dead. Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispose, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. We'll see in Le Leviticus 20, Verse 26, that it's a capital offense. Like it's, it's an abomination, right? And we'll, we're going to get into this more um, in a little bit. Um, and so Saul has sent them out. He's, it's like you're obeying God for once. And now all of a sudden he's going, hey, I think I want to find one. And why? Why does he want to find a witch or a medium here in Indoor? And it's because he is 
turned and asked God for, for wisdom, for guidance here, because he's afraid of the battle that he's about to go into. And he lists three things. So he personally, God's not speaking to him through dreams anymore. Right? The Urim was one of the ways the priest, right, would be able to speak and discern the will of God, right? Asking yes, no questions, rolling, okay, God, which is it? But what did he do to the priest? He killed them. All but one he wiped out, we saw earlier, because he thought they were serving David. And so the one priest that survived is currently with David with the Urim. So he can't even go to the priest. And then in chapter 19 with the prophets, right, Samuel, who was kind of the preeminent prophet, is now dead. And in chapter 19, when, when Saul was seeking David, he goes to the, to the city where the prophets were, where Samuel was, and he ends up being made a fool, right? So the prophets know that this is not the man that God has for us. And so he has disobeyed God, um, so he's not hearing from God. He's abused um, the two systems then that the people of God were given between the priests and the prophets to hear from God. And so here he is looking out at a battle, looking out at war, going, I'm terrified of what's about to happen. I would like to know. And where we've seen so far in First Samuel is that Saul was unwilling to seek the Lord. Here he is, but only momentarily. And as soon as he doesn't get an answer, instead of waiting, he decides, right, the ends justify the means. So I'm going to break God's law. I'm going to break my own law. And I'm going to search out, right, a medium. So let's pick up in verse 8. So Saul disguised himself, put on other garments, and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Okay, so granted, a strange portion of Scripture. Um, you know, it's, it snows, so we talk about witches, right? I mean, um, the, she's actually going to end up playing a really kind of a bit part in this story, but it's sensational, right? And, and I'm just going to go ahead and clarify, Scripture is not going to answer all your questions here, right? There's going to be some things that you're going to be like, about that. We just don't get. We don't get all, all the clarification um, as to what is going on, why is it going on. Um, you're, you're probably not going to be satisfied. Um, Sam, the author of Samuel is certainly not going to give us a how-to guide on how this all happened. Um, but what's interesting is that this witch is clearly not in control. Right? That we, we see here that, that as she... She's one, she's afraid that, that Saul, who she doesn't recognize at the moment, is there to kill her, right? Like that he's, he's laying a trap, going, hey, so are you a witch? And when she says yes, and then, well, witches aren't allowed until he kills her, right? That these three men have shown up. So she's like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, listen, 
As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So then she asks, well, who do you want me to bring up? And he says, Samuel. Remember, Samuel was known by the nation. He was kind of the one voice. He had been mourned by the nation. Like This was like asking for the most famous person of this generation. And so, listen, here's probably the question you're having. It's like, okay, but is this real? And, and people are torn over this. You know, is it, is it real? Um, is it, was it deception? Was it demonic? Um, was God kind of allowing a one-off here that was not, un, like, not typical? Was there some sort of hallucinogen or drug-induced thing going on? Um, really, from what we're going to be able to deduce from the text, is it, it's, in some form or fashion, it's Samuel, right? Who's going to, based on what we're going to have him say to the king, that it's Samuel. Um, but that she's not in control. Because when she sees Samuel and screams, right, she's, she's, it's one of two things that's going on. Either something more is happening than she's used to, right, that she has been used to deceiving, or it's, it's coming in a, in a fashion or a form that she's not used to, and so she's even surprised by it. Or it's that when she sees that it's Samuel, she knows that this is from God, right? That she recognizes that it's, it's Samuel, the one who would have been famous and known, and at this point, it's like the, her eyes are open and she sees this person who's in a disguise is actually the king. And she, you know, she can just imagine, yeah, this isn't going to go well. Like, this is... This is not a good situation for us. So let's pick up in verse 15. So we have Saul in verse 14 kind of bent over, um, showing respect. Verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give an army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. And Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and I have listened to what you have said to me. Now therefore you also obey your servant." Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. And he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. And the woman had a fattened calf in, her, in the house, and she quickly killed it. She took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And then they rose and went away that night. This scene is hard. It, I know we're re, it's hard to watch, right? Like because you, you can kind of you can picture it, you can imagine this going on, and 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 Saul crossing a line that he hadn't yet crossed, um, and then in it hearing the answer he did not want to hear, 
him falling out on the ground. Right? In, in, in this odd scene of now this witch trying to like kind of minister and console him a little bit, the bad news that he's gotten to feed him. Um, like it's just like Saul's story is 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 hard. And this scene is kind of the the climax of that. We're gonna see more of Saul, but of just and the end is, is close. And it's it's just it's it's difficult. Um, right, Saul, you can imagine is is just distraught and desperate. Because like what what is it that you think you're gonna gain by disobeying the Lord? Like what answer is it that you thought you were gonna get? And so he shows up and he's hoping for this hopeful word, a new word, something good. And instead, he gets the same word that he got from Samuel the last time they talked in, in life. If you go back to 1 Samuel 15, this is the last time they interacted while Samuel was alive. And he says this, verse 23, For rebellion is as, as, as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Right? And we have this, this back and forth between Saul and Samuel. Um, and, and so in verse 26, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and it has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Um, and then if we end the chapter in verse 34. So Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Geba. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Right, and so th this was their last interaction, right? As you can imagine, Saul holding a piece of the robe in his hand, watching Samuel leave with this horrific news. And now their next interaction, right, is in the house of a witch. And Samuel just says the same thing. Why are you asking me? You're the enemy of God. I've already told you this. And he, you know, right, and he, just, he says the same things. Right? Like, he's given it to your neighbor, David. He's torn the kingdom out of your hand. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. You did not carry out his wrath. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing this day. And so, oh yeah, bonus, you're going to die. So are your sons. And, and Israel's going to lose to the Philistines because of you, because of your leadership, because of your disobedience. And so we see Saul literally then just fall out. And he, his last meal is here. Like, think about the scene here, this kind of shameful last meal as he's in a place having sinned and disobeyed the Lord, disobeyed his own law, and is now having his last meal with this woman and his servant. So I think the question we really have to ask in this passage is, is okay, so why is this such a big deal? Like, why is this sin such a big deal that it seems to have such far-reaching consequences. Um, and so let's just, let's start here first. Scripture um, in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy multiple times tells them, listen, tells the people of God, you don't pursue witches, sorcerers, necromancers, wizards, like whatever word you want to use. It never says they don't work. 
right? It never says they're not actually able to do something. It simply says you don't pursue this. You don't seek it out. Because here's why. He's like, you're seeking to know something that God hasn't revealed to you. So you're seeking knowledge, guidance, and revelation, and saying, God, I don't need you for it. So ultimately, it takes us back to Genesis 3 and the first sin, right? Where Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God has given them everything, and says, there's one rule, don't eat of that tree. And then Satan comes, and what is the temptation? What's, what's the whisper? There's something more. There's, like God's holding out on you, holding out on you. You can't trust him. There's actually even more than this. Just take a bite. And so the sin was this of saying, I don't trust God. And I think there's something that I can, I can grasp that's more than what he'll give me. And Adam and Eve are deceived. They sin. It's rebellion against God, right? Which has then created this, this, this ripple effect for us that when we sin, what we're ultimately saying is, God, I don't trust you. And so if we're sinning for pleasure, we're saying, God, I don't think the pleasure that you offer will be as good as the pleasure that's offered here. When it's power, God, I don't think you will raise me to the status that I deserve, so I'll take it myself. Right? If it's money, God, I don't think you are taking care of me in a financial way, so I'm going to go get it myself. Right? It, when we say we don't trust God, it leads us to sin. Right? It, it leads us to making decisions that don't take us towards God, but take us away from God. And so he's telling us that divination, the seeking of these supernatural powers, and listen, we live in a supernatural world. Right? Like the battle we fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against powers and principalities. And there is demonic power. And so he's saying, listen, as you seek these things out, it's not to learn something new from me. It is to walk away from me. It is, it's, it's to leave me. Listen to how Isaiah says it. This is chapter 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and murder, and not murder, mutter, who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Basically saying, listen, you're going to go to these who chirp and murder, I cannot, mutter, Right? He's like, you're going to go to them. You're going to talk to the dead instead of the living. You have a living God. Come to me. I'll lead you and I will guide you and I will give you everything that you need. It may not be everything that you want, but it'll be everything that you need and you can trust me. And so ultimately, the decision here is who are we pursuing? Are we pursuing what we want or are we pursuing what God has for us? And so this issue is an abomination because it's a rejection of God. It is a lack of trust in God, and it's putting something in His place. It's, so listen to what, um, remember what Samuel said in chapter 15. He tells him, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Right? He's like, look, your worship rituals are not as sufficient and significant as obedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, right, like out and out, rebellion against God is as the same. So it's equal to the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. You have rejected the word of the Lord who has rejected you from being king. You can imagine in that moment that Saul's like, why are you talking about divination? Like Samuel's, 
was speaking to him already. So this day is coming where you're going to be tempted to not pursue the word of the Lord, not to inquire of the Lord, but to inquire somewhere else. Don't do it because it's out and out rebellion. It's disobedience. It's idolatry because you are saying, God, you're not sufficient. I want this as a replacement. And I'm going to take this instead because I don't trust you. And I'm not going to inquire of you. And I'm not going to follow you because I want something else. So Saul has broken God's law. He's broken his own law. Did you hear his vow? How wicked was his vow? When she doesn't know who he is yet, she's like, I think you're here to lay a trap for my life in verse 9. Look at verse 10. Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Like he is blaspheming God and bringing a curse upon himself. He's saying, right, remember David last week says, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to kill Saul because God's alive. He'll avenge me. I don't have to do it. And Saul in turn says, because the Lord lives, no punishment will come upon you for breaking the law of, man, of God. Like Saul, you're, you're saying that you have the ability to protect her from God and he's alive and you're sinning too. Like it, it's just... It's, it's insane the desperation that he has gotten to where he is willing to out and out blaspheme and mock God here. What a fool for offering God's protection as he is currently sinning against him. So, the choice here, right? the, the reason that this, this is here is where, where are we seeking? Who is it that we're seeking to find answers? Scripture is not going to lie and tell us that sin isn't pleasurable, right? right? We see in Hebrews that there are the fleeting pleasures of sin. So it's pleasurable, but it's fleeting. It can't last. While the pleasures of God are forevermore at His right hand. Right? So it's not saying, hey, sin is never good. It's just like, it's just going to bring death. And it's, gonna, it's not going to last, and you're not going to be satisfied by it. Here, Scripture doesn't tell us, hey, don't go to, don't go to these people. They don't know what they're doing. It doesn't tell us that. It just says don't do it because you're in, in doing it, you're walking away from God. We know that there are some who are simply deceivers, right? Who would practice kind of these arts. They're just simply deceivers. They're, they're good at reading people. And others have power. They just do. And so what Scripture is going to tell us is you don't play with it, right? You, you, you flee it and you go to God. You trust God because you may get answers, they are leading to death, and they are leading away from God. When Saul disobeyed in chapter 15, did not, did not obey the, the voice of the Lord. As he's walking away, remember the, the kind of the symbol that happened was he tore some of Samuel's robe, and, and in that, he's like, hey, you're going to be punished, and what it is is the kingdom has been torn from you. Like it's no longer in your hand. Your punishment is that you've lost the kingship, and your sons will not inherit it. Here, we see him disobeying God. And he's going to lose his life. Right? There's a reason, and we, we mentioned Leviticus 20, 26, that it was a capital offense. He is going to lose his life over this um, in the coming chapters. And I want us to remember, as we went back to the beginning of Samuel, chapter 2, we have Hannah's song or prayer I want you to listen to it now as we're coming to the end of, of 1 Samuel. 
This is verse 6, about halfway through her, her song. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and He makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Right? We are seeing this song and prayer just lived out in 1 Samuel. That he is raising up, and that he's bringing low. That, that David is not thriving right, by the, his mighty hand, but by God's that Saul is being crushed even though he had everything in this life. And so as we um, wrestle with kind of a sensational and odd passage, I want us just just a couple thoughts as we close. Church, dark things grow in the dark. Right? Saul didn't just wake up one day and go, today's the day I'm going to go see a witch. Right? Like, he has been disobeying the voice of the Lord for a long time, not inquiring of the Lord, not seeking the Lord, right? It's always others going, hey, Saul, maybe you should ask God. That's not his first thought or his first step. That we've seen him lack stability. And his sin and his struggle is going to be revealed publicly. And so I think it's important for us to know that like, that God sees Everything. He knows everything. He knows our hearts and our desires and, and the things that we do that we think no one knows and the things that we consider and the path that we're on that maybe hasn't led to it yet, but is, that's where we're headed. Like this morning, would we allow Saul's like, humiliation? Like as you picture him laying in some like dark cave, right, in, in a witch's home, two miles from a battlefield that he's going to lose his life and his kids are going to be killed as well, and just the shame and the humiliation of that, of just realizing, man, I didn't pursue the Lord. And all of it's like crashing down. Like we, I, you can just feel it. That, that we could allow us not to have to learn the hard way. That if there are things that need to be repented of, confessed, that we would trust that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And in our confession and in our repentance and our willingness to expose the dark things before they expose us, that you will find grace and you will find love and you will find hope and you will find peace and you will find forgiveness and you will find acceptance, right? And there's an enemy right now who wants to scream in your ear, that's not true. They'll never, they'll never see you the same way again. They'll never think of you the same way again. God would certainly never want you. And yet James tells us that it's the grace of God that far outruns our sin. If we are breathing today, your sin has not outrun His grace. Forgiveness is available. It is offered. It is here for you. And those dark things that you would want no one to know, God already does. And so let's bring them into the light and be a people of the light. Not for shame. Right, but for hope and peace and light and forgiveness and grace and mercy is the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance.
And so then the, the second thing is this. What is it that we're looking to, to guide us? Like, where is it that we're going for answers? So for most, most of us, not for everyone who's listening to this, but for most, right, you're not tempted with witches and mediums, right? Like, that's necromancers. Like, you're not, that's not an issue. But the fact is, is that we can do this religiously. That we can look for the deeper things of the Lord, right? Those who would promise secrets. Those who would promise to have knowledge that we don't have and that we can't obtain, right? Is the scriptures, are the scriptures enough? Like, do we trust that God has given us what he would have for us to have, and he's left us his spirit, and he's left us his people? Right? It's, like, it's like a parent telling someone, you can trust me. And the kid going, I don't know if I can. I think I need a little more. God has said, like, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3. Everything. His spirit, his word, his people, and his promises. Do we trust that that's enough? One of the biggest heresies of, of the New Testament, especially if we look at places like uh, the church at Corinth, was Gnosticism. There was a secret knowledge, a secret understanding that only the elite, superior Christians could have. right? And then they would hold it above others. And, and it, the Scripture's been given to us. There is no secret knowledge. God has given us what He would have for us to have. Do we trust that? Is the Bible enough? Listen, I'm, even this week, there's been difficult and hard news given to, to folks at Redeemer. Right? Like, there's been struggle and hardship. And we want answers, right? We want more sometimes. We want clarity. And we want insight. We want to answer why. And here's what God says. I'm going to give you the light for your next step. And I'm going to be with you. And my mercy will be new in the morning. And my grace is sufficient. And my strength is perfected in your weakness. And there will be a day where every tear will be wiped away. Right? Where there will be no more sickness and no more mourning and no more death. Like we have all of this and we have, but God, I need some nuance. I need some nuance here. And he's like, I've given you everything you need for life and God. And trust me, I'm with you. And I'm taking you to a place where there is hope and joy and peace and no brokenness for all time. I'm leading you back to the Father. And there are these others who will say, I'm leading you astray. And you may get some answers, you may get some knowledge, and you may get some insight, but it is taking you further and further away from God. And so it will lead in death. Or we can go to the Father in the hand of Jesus who is with us and is guiding us. The church this morning, there may be clear sin that the Spirit right now is, is just laying on you of like, repent, confess this now. It is dark and it will destroy you. Or it may be that we, there's no specific sin, but we just need to repent of a lack of trust. Like, God, I'm not, I don't always just trust you. I don't always lean in. I'm not always sure that you're good or that you're going to take care of me. Or maybe this morning you're in a, in a sweet spot and you just want to thank the Lord for His grace and kindness and His mercy because it is sustaining and it is sufficient. And He has proven that to you time and time again. So you just want to say thank you that I'm not alone. And it's just going to stir up worship. We're asking for the Spirit to lead, to guide, to minister this morning. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that, that we have one that's come back from the dead. Lord, that we don't have to seek out those um, who have secrets from the grave. Lord, that you died on our behalf and you came back from the grave for us. God, that your life is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. Lord, that we bring nothing to the table. You don't need us, and yet you adopt us as sons and daughters of the King. God, that your death was sufficient so that our death doesn't have to fear, doesn't have to create fear in us. Because in it we are we step into your presence. Our faith becomes sight. God, thank you that you're alive today, that because you live, we have hope and peace and joy. We have someone with us who understands, who's walking, who has not left us alone, who hasn't forsaken us, who is equipping, transforming us. Father, would we trust you? God, this morning, would you even reveal in our hearts and minds areas where we just don't? Would you press gently on them? God, that we would confess and repent and you would bring hope and peace and healing. God, help us to see you as, wor- as, as, as worthy as you are, that we would trust and follow you. When your church is waiting, we're listening, we want to inquire of you and hear from you, would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen.